hey, it's me, that package you're hoping will be delivered soon. I know you keep checking the shipping updates, wondering when I will arrive, and there's no scientific evidence to prove this, but something that could potentially help it arrive faster is listening to an episode of this podcast. Before I continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, we have a new piece of Potterless merch and potentially the last addition to the merchandise repertoire for Potterless, but we've got a new enamel pin, and it is immortalizing the iconic moment where I told a bird that was tweeting outside of a window while I was trying to record in the suburbs of Houston, yo, shut the fuck up, bird! An iconic moment now can be yours on an enamel pin. It was created by our own producer-level patron, Polly Burridge, and it is gorgeous. I look like a Disney character yelling at a very sweet bird. I have Gaston vibes. The bird has Snow White animal vibes. It's absolutely gorgeous, and you can get it right now at PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. Also, Potterless just finished a big run of shows. We had four shows in five days. Thank you so much to everyone who came out to those, but we're not done yet. We've got a show in Philly coming up on August 30th. We've got a show in Boston with Vanessa from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text on September 18th. We've also got shows lined up in October. If you want to see where we're coming and get tickets to those shows, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash live. And also just a reminder that this is the second to last episode of Weekly Potterless, the penultimate Potterless episode before we go to a sporadic posting where I just post live shows and convention stuff from time to time. Starting in September, we will be doing a Percy Jackson podcast of a similar format. And I'm very excited to announce the name. The name is... The newest Olympian. No, it's not Jacksonless. No, it's not Godless. Those names mean nothing, and I didn't just add less to Potter to get Potterless. It was a joke on Pottermore. It's a whole double thing, but the show is called The Newest Olympian. One of the few things I knew about Percy Jackson is that the fifth book is called The Last Olympian, so I thought it would be fun to show that I am new to this book series as the boy Mike Schubert who has never read them, so I am the titular Newest Olympian. Right now, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Newest Olympian. Eventually, thenewestolympian.com will be our website, and there will be a separate feed for the podcast, so you can subscribe to it when that is live. It is not live just this second, but stay tuned for updates there. And even though the podcast is on a separate feed, the Patreon is going to transition from the Patreon for Potterless to the Patreon for The Newest Olympian, because I want to keep all of the stuff in one place so that you can listen to the old Potterless stuff if you would like. And if you go to patreon.com Potterless right now, there is a big post that explains what is going to happen with the transition, what the new tiers are all of that. So if you are currently a patron, it'll explain to you how you can adjust. Or if you want to become a patron to support the Percy Jackson show, you can check that out. And then also, if you don't want to support because you only care about Harry Potter or Potterless or whatever, that's totally fine. You have until September to pause, cancel, whatever to your pledge, because it is going to be a monthly Patreon. And I believe those charge at the beginning of the month now. I'm not 100% positive, but if you don't want to support it, get out before September starts. But yes, I'm very excited. I hope you all are as well. The newest Olympian is going to be very very good. We've already recorded some episodes and I'm so stoked and I cannot wait for you all to hear it. And speaking of things I'm stoked about, we have new folks supporting Potterless at patreon.com slash Potterless. So shout out to Curiosities, Mika Jara, Cassandra Cannon, and Fine Tuning Nonsense. Shout out to Sarah Jansen, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our newest producer level patrons, Jasmine Laurie May, Carly Beck, Carolyn Hillebrand, and Moo Productions. They join the ranks of Vicky Christine, Aaron Clow, Marchismo Juan, Rosemarie, Maria Lisa, Audra Eleanor, Nikita 
Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peta, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrika, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cockall, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinachik, Nani, Emma, Tuff, Micah, Michaela, Matthew, Katie, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter, who never start to cook burgers for lunch and then check that the rolls are still good, and then you realize, uh-oh, these rolls have gone bad, and then you gotta leave and go to the grocery store and go back, it's a whole big deal. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, exclusive live streams, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 190 of Potterless, our second Potterless listener fan theory episode, guest starring Chanel Williams. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and he did a whole bunch of other stuff afterwards, and now he's talking about fan theories with another wonderful Harry Potter creator. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man that didn't read the books, but now I am joined today by who other people have coined this term. She was clear to clarify she did not give herself this nickname, the <laughs> Professor McGonagall of TikTok. It's Chanel Williams. Chanel, how's it going? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I'm gassed. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you. I have to say, and we were talking about this before recording, I get sent TikToks all of the time, various Harry Potter TikToks. And on principle, as a former Viner that is still bitter about it, I refuse to watch all of them until <laughs> one person in particular showed me yours and they prefaced it with, I know you ignore TikTok videos, but you have to watch these. And I did watch yours where you do an incredible McGonagall impression. And then I found out you were already following me on Instagram and boom, here we are. Huzzah! <laughs> It's fate. Do you know, it was actually in one of my TikToks, I called Bestrels bony ponies because I've always called them that since I was very, <laughs> like, when they first came out, it was like, well, it's a bony pony. And everyone was like, oh my God, she listens to Potterless. She listens to Potterless. And I was like, <laughs> I felt so bad because I was like, I don't know what that is. So <laughs> I went out and I started listening. And I was like, this is it. I can get behind this. So yeah, <laughs> it does great minds think alike, I think. Absolute <laughs> destiny has brought us together and that we both identify Thestrals by their true name of bony ponies, which is perfect. So that was my question to you. Have you always been a Harry Potter fan? How did you get to the point now where you basically professionally imitate Maggie Smith on TikTok? <laughs> it, honestly, it's come out of nowhere. So I have always been a Harry Potter fan. I didn't really get a choice in the matter. The first book was read to me just before the first film was coming out. So I was about seven and it was my bedtime story before I went to bed. And oh my gosh, when I tell you I was so into it, I was like, it's 4 p.m. I don't care. I need to go to bed. Read me this story. My great aunt used to read it to me every night in the voices. And I was like, I can't read it myself. I need her to do it because she does the voices. Yeah, so I didn't really get a choice in whether I was into Harry Potter. It was forced on me at seven and I was like, yeah, I'm down with it. But it's so weird now because I'm an adult. I am 27 now. <laughs> and then because of lockdown and everything, the world stopped and we had nothing to do. 
I started doing TikTok, randomly ended up on Potter TikTok, and it all just kind of went from there. Now Harry Potter is my daily life again. The nostalgia is real. I can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> Have you always had the Maggie Smith accent in your back pocket, or was that a more recent development? Because it is truly phenomenal. Thank you so much. I did not know I could do it, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't know I could do it, or I would have been doing it my whole life. Oh, and you would have been insufferable. Yeah, like, I'm so glad I didn't know through university because I would have done it, like, <laughs> non-stop, on a night out. Can you imagine? I can't even. But, yeah, basically what happened is I joined TikTok and I was just doing random. I wasn't even doing Harry Potter stuff, just random, like, lip syncs and cringy stuff. And um, as you do when you're trying out the app, and it was just as the Harry Potter accent challenge was going viral. And I watched a little video online and it was like, if you want to blow on TikTok, you take a trend and then you make it your own. So I was like, fine, I'm going to do the Harry Potter accent challenge, but nobody's doing the adults. Nobody's doing the teachers. I'm going to do that. And everyone was blowing up the comments. Your Professor McGonagall is so good. I was like, oh, is <laughs> and I've been working on it since. I, I, I do think that it's gotten quite good now. Oh. Ten points to Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you. And I was always a Maggie Smith fan from when I was young, young. Maggie Smith's been my favorite actress for 20 years. So that's why I'm so good at the boys. People are like, what? How do you do the accent so well? But Fun fact, Maggie Smith, she won her first Oscar for a film called The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, which was about a Scottish teacher. Uh -huh. And I loved that film so much. I watched it again and again and again. And Maggie Smith just recycled the exact same accent and voice for this film. So okay. even though we only see 40 minutes of Professor McGonagall, I have watched hours and hours of Maggie Smith doing McGonagall, basically. <laughs> so that's why I'm so good at it. <laughs> You've been training for this day your entire life. Exactly. Well, I'm glad that we can have you on board. I'm glad that we can talk about these Harry Potter fan theories. So we've done an episode about it previously, but there were so many good ones that listeners called in and shared with me that I had to bring you in to do another one of these. So basically, I'm just going to lay out the fan theories that the listeners have provided okay. and we'll play the audio from them and then you and I will just talk about if we think they are legit, if we believe them, talk it through. There's no real rough structure here. We just got a bunch of fun things. We'll talk about them and boom. Sound good? Okay. So the first fan theory that I have comes from Samantha. Hello, I'm Samantha from Minnesota. A fan theory I've heard is that Hermione actually obliviated her parents much earlier than book seven. The theory is that she obliviated them when she went home at the end of book four after Voldemort returned. She spends almost all of the summer vacations of books five and six with the Weasleys, as well as Christmas of book five. I remember even as a kid thinking how weird it was that she never spent time with her family. Fan theories that she actually did it earlier in time. Maybe she was embarrassed by it or whatever. And instead of the reasoning being, uh-oh, we're going to be escaping and I need to obliviate my parents, it was, uh-oh, Voldemort's back and I'm afraid for my parents. I don't know if I think this like actually happened, but I think it's a fun interpretation as like, a different reason to try to protect her family. Yeah, definitely. I've never, I was away from the Potterverse for so long. Like I was busy being <laughs> an adult and working and everything. So a lot of these I haven't actually heard. I've not heard that one. I quite like it. I personally don't prescribe to it. 
But I think it's a really interesting take. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of makes it slightly less sad. Right. If she obliviated them then and then spent all the time away from at least they didn't know and all of that stuff. Whereas if they've just been having all of these years where Hermione just doesn't come home. And I think there's already such a sad kind of dyad when you look at muggle-born students who go away to Hogwarts and their parents just miss out on so much of their lives. But I suppose it's the same with any child who goes to boarding school. (laughs) Yeah, they miss out on a lot of their lives for sure. It's not even just the boarding school thing. You think about what happens after they graduate. It's just they are fully invested in the wizarding world where they're completely secret and separate. So it wouldn't just stop there. It's not like Hermione graduates and then, oh yeah, now I'm back with my parents. It's just the rest of her life. And her parents had no idea. She's muggle-born. She turns 10 and or 11 whenever she gets the owl and they say, oh, your daughter's a witch and also you're never going to see her again. <laughs> exactly. It's like kidnapping and they don't understand any of the stuff that's going on. I mean, she can come home and explain as much as she can, but it's such an alien world. She's going to get a job, likely, in the wizarding world. But I think there's so much about uh, muggle-born students like just going back to live in the muggle world, but with magic. That would be quite sick. But yeah, as for the fan theory, I think that's so interesting. I'm just stewing on it, I think. Yeah. Like you said, it does make it less sad because it's more about protecting her parents and less about doing it for herself. Because really, in book seven, when she actually does it, it's because she doesn't want her parents to get interrogated and then they find out where she is. Whereas in book four, it's like, we just got to get my parents to Australia because clearly Voldemort's not going to go all the way there. (laughs) He's way too lazy to (laughs) to go down under. So I think it gives it a different emotion. But yeah, I agree that I don't know that this is legit, but it's fun to think about. And also that's very Hermione that she's already like three books earlier than (laughs) she is before her time. She's already Yep, she's got the plan. Mm -hmm. She's done all of this. It's already in prep. That sounds like her. Yep, she's ahead (laughs) of the curve. I see where this is going. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Okay, so the next one comes from Louisa. Hi, Mike and Mike's guest. My theory is that Neville is left-handed, which is why he's so inadept at magic. In the movies, you can see Neville using his left hand as his dominant hand a number of times. And this would make sense because perhaps in the wizarding world, broomsticks are made by default for right-handed people, like scissors in the muggle world, which would make them harder for him to use. And also, since he had a hand-me-down wand, perhaps that was made for a right-handed person too. So this is one that I've heard before, but not in this particular way. I think this theory is really interesting. I have no idea if there is handedness involved in wands. I know there is still the classic, the wand chooses the wizard. I do think it is just part of the book, not even a fan theory, that that's why Neville was bad, because he was using the hand-me-down wand. Once he gets his own, he's better. So I think bringing handedness into it is interesting. I don't think it was ever actually talked about in the books, but I think it's cool. Yeah, no, I don't remember it being discussed. But I like that, though. In case you don't know, my day job, what I actually do in real life, is I work with horses, and horses are actually left and right-handed. Um, what? Yeah. like Is it like both of them or just the front ones? <laughs> so a horse, when it goes into a canter, it's a three-beat rhythm, and so they will have one that they favor 
the, over the other. Oh. And there's actually research at the minute looking at a lot of horses, depending on which way their little swirl on their head goes, it's like correlates to whether they're left or right-handed. But That's anyway, so cool. I'm getting distracted. No, we're, it's okay. This podcast, this podcast is now an episode about horses. <laughs> <laughs> but if horses, like left and right-handed, it affects them. So yeah, why not affect Neville? It makes sense. And yeah. No, I've never thought about it. It also comes up, I'm a big basketball fan, and a thing that comes up in basketball a lot, at least a recent development, is there are some players where they, in their daily lives, use, say, their left hand, for example. But when they actually shoot the basketball, they use their right hand, or vice versa. And I've never thought of someone doing that. I'm right-hand dominant. I use my right hand to shoot the basketball. But for some of these players, they do the opposite. So when those players aren't particularly good at shooting, Ben Simmons is one, people think, is he using the wrong hand? And it's this all big galaxy brain thing of what if he switched his hand, would he be better? So to take that kind of concept and put it into wizarding world, it would be really funny if you're really bad at magic by your second year, someone comes in and they say, look, maybe you should be using your other hand. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> and I think that, to be fair, we've seen with Harry Potter, both in the books and films. The teachers, a lot of them mean well. <laughs> they ain't that great. They're not good at picking up stuff. Like, <laughs> where is the therapy for these kids? Like, who's actually paying attention to them? So God. it would not surprise me. Would not surprise me at all. Also, I've been watching a lot of Ted Lasso, and in the iconic dart scene where he hustles the guy, he's playing darts with his right hand, and he's doing really well. And then before they start, he says, oh, I forgot I was left-handed. And then he's really good. That could be very fun in a duel where you're holding someone off with your right hand, and they're really struggling. And then you go, oh, my bad. I'm actually left-handed. Avada Kedavra. <laughs> and then came over. <laughs> Just drop him like that. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> so I think handedness should come into play. I think it would be very, very fun. Oh, 100%. And since Dueling Club was taught by uh, Lockhart, so he's definitely not worried about that. He's like, I'm right-handed and everything's all about me. So You're right. he's not going to be there looking out for which hand is most dominant in it. Nah. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay, so this next one, I'm excited because you do this incredible McGonagall voice. This one's about Quidditch. McGonagall's obviously got those ties there. Yeah. So here is the theory. This is about Quidditch, and the theory is that the number of goals scored by a team influences the difficulty for their seeker to catch the snitch. So the more points a team has, the easier it gets for their seeker to catch it. This makes the other players besides the seeker important for the game because if they don't score, it's almost impossible for their seeker to catch the snitch. And this is weirdly how it works in the Quidditch video game, which is very fun. So that would make the point scoring actually make sense because yeah. one of my big gripes with it is the 150 points is absurd. So <laughs> I like this theory because it makes scoring points matter. The 150 versus 10 thing is absolutely absurd. Yeah. So if there was some sort of advantage where you didn't have to score 16 quaffle goals for the points to matter, if that made the magic of the snitch come towards you, I actually would really like it. And I think it would improve this very flawed sport that I hate. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like when you were saying it, it's like, well, at least in that case, the sport somehow makes sense. Can you imagine playing a sport and you're not the seeker? You literally mean nothing to anyone. No. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> massive point score for the snitch. It's literally like the other players don't mean anything 
anything. They're just the distraction while the real important person is doing something. So for the sake of team players, I love that theory. Like, yeah, sold. I think it works well if I was a player on the team, especially if I was a chaser. It would give me more motivation to try really hard because then even there should be a difference between your team having 50 points or 100 points. You don't have to get all the way up to 160 because that's what's absurd about the big disparity in the points between the two is if you have scored 12 goals with the quaffle, that's cool and all, but if the other team catches the snitch, it means nothing. And it's the same difference as if you scored two. So at least it gives some sort of incentive for incremental success and not it's either 16 or nothing. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Because you would just, if that was the case, you would just have to have a really good seeker. It doesn't really matter about the rest. So you would just pump funds into training your seeker and having the best broom for the seeker and all of this stuff. All of the rest people, it's like, it doesn't care. We can have Neville on the team. It's all matter. <laughs> as long as we have a good seeker. I like the thought of having so much attention given towards the seeker. The seeker has their own coach. They have their own personal masseuse. They have their own locker room. Everything is catered to the seeker. And then, oh yeah, the other team, I guess, exists also. I suppose it has to. I love the scene in the first film where... McGonagall sees Harry on that broom for the first time and really she should discipline him like Pooch literally said you're going to be expelled McGonagall sees him out the window and she's like yeah. goes running down in my head cannon she runs down she's like jumping Phileas on the way she gets down there like puts her come with me all of this stuff and then she just doesn't care she waltzes in can I borrow wood? Like, I don't care, Quirrell. I don't care about your lesson. I don't care about his education. All of this. But it makes sense because the Seeker is so important. And if the Gryffindor Quidditch team has no Seeker, Gryffindor has no Quidditch team. So Exactly. I know that's a big theory of Binge Mode, which is another Harry Potter podcast. I believe their theory is that McGonagall bets on the Gryffindor Quidditch team. So she has a financially vested interest in their success, not just a bragging rights perspective interest. So I think if you combine that theory with the thought of McGonagall's actions there, it makes sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. Exactly. In my TikToks as well, I talk about McGonagall's underground Quidditch betting ring. That's <laughs> another one. But I think that that was from that. But is it McGonagall? Wait, no. Minerva McGallion's McGonagall. Oh my gosh, I yes. can't say it. <laughs> yeah, they call her McGallion's which is pretty, pretty fun. So I like that a lot, yeah. I think the woman is obviously quite rich. I know we're going off on a tangent now, but how long have they worked at Hogwarts? I feel like the Hogwarts wage is pretty decent. They don't have to pay for accommodation while they're there. They don't have to pay for food. She's just saving up her money. I mean, she got Harry that broom and I looked at the comparing it to muggle money that weren't cheap so girls obviously got money and i think she definitely got it from a quidditch betting ring i think it would make sense it's either money or she's gotten to a point where she is so comfortable financially that money doesn't really matter so what she cares most about is being able to shove her team's success in the faces of those she despises snape whoever it is, and money is no object to her anymore. She wants something that you can't buy, which is glory. And she wants to make sure Gryffindor has that glory. Have you read her backstory? 
about the reason why she always wants to thrash Slytherin at Quidditch. I have not, because I was going to cover that stuff on Potterless, and then there were choices made by the person that wrote that backstory, so I decided not to do that. But... What is the backstory? So it's funny, I'm, and I'm going to go into it because I have this amazing AU that I love. So I'll tell you that at the end. So Professor McGonagall was actually an incredible Quidditch player when she was at school. The last game for the Quidditch final, like between Slytherin and Gryffindor, she got injured and she couldn't play Quidditch anymore and they lost the game because she got fouled really badly by a Slytherin and that's why she wants to thrash them that's why it's ingrained into her but I have this fabulous AU where that never happened and she went on to be a professional Quidditch player but because she wasn't at Hogwarts everyone dies (laughs) yes I love it because you know if McGonagall wasn't there keeping Albus under wraps that school would be a pile of rubble 100% 100% (laughs) McGonagall is like Leo McGarry in the West Wing, where, yeah, you've got Dumbledore as President Bartlett. He's the face of the organization. He's calling all the shots. But who's really keeping the ship together? It's Leo. And then, of course, eventually CJ. But there's always that person behind the scenes that's actually running the tight ship. And that's McGonagall for sure. You know, as soon as she became headmistress, everything just... It fell into place. They were like, it's never run this well. But anyway, back to the theories, because I'm just just taking it off on McGonagall tangents. I love it, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think the theory for incremental assistance towards snitch catching, I think it makes sense. It would help the players have a purpose. It could also help if you didn't have an amazing seeker like Harry Potter. It would help make their lives a little bit easier. I think it makes the sport work a lot better. So yeah. I like that idea. No, I'm sold as well. Very good theory. So this next one comes from Robert Clark. Hello, Rob. Slytherin, not racist. My fan theory is all about Salazar Slytherin. My fan theory, Salazar Slytherin did nothing wrong. Back in that time, wizards and witches were being persecuted and executed just for existing. Salazar didn't want those types of people in the school in case they gave away the school's locations and tried to take them down from where they were learning and they were delicate and fragile as children. So my theory is Salazar did nothing wrong. He put the Slytherin monster in there in case when he was kicked out, they did uprise and they had a backup plan to fight them back off. Thank you very much. So I, in the past, have been very strongly that Salazar Slytherin seems like a very close-minded, racist, prejudiced dude. I would have to dive a bit more into everything going on in the past, but I feel like this is still not... Like, I, I can see the argument here, but also part of me thinks that Salazar Slytherin is just a close-minded, crotchety old man. <laughs> yeah, I'm of a similar vein, but I really like it when a well-written villain you can understand kind of where they're coming from. And I think that that gives it real depth. I like it. I haven't done much reading into the founders, to be fair, but I think that sounds like a similar vein to what is happening. I don't really prescribe to Fantastic Beasts. I'm not into it, but I have seen the second one. And I feel like it's a similar thing of what's happening with Grindelwald, like using the whole look what muggles are doing to the world. Do we really want them running the show? And to an extent, you're like, it's true. We're ruining everything. Yeah, look at global warming. But, you know, (laughs) I think it's definitely an interesting thought. And yeah, back in the day, you didn't have to... What was I reading the other day? No, it was a TikTok. It was saying about... um, if you were left-handed, oh my gosh, Neville, if you were left-handed, you were burned from being a witch. If you were too funny, like there were loads of things that meant obviously you're a witch. 
So. Naturally, of course. Yeah, I agree that I think the most captivating villains are the ones where you don't necessarily have to agree with what they're saying, but you can kind of at least see where they're coming from. I actually think that's what makes Grindelwald a bad villain, because in the second movie, it's just not really clear what his deal is, except for just vague hatred of muggles. It doesn't really seem clear exactly why or what his point is or where he's going with all of this hatred, but he's got it. And I think it's something that when I watched Black Panther, I thought Killmonger was a very compelling villain because I don't necessarily agree with the way in which he was going about what he was trying to do, but he had a point, at least in some regards. So I think if you take this theory as true, it doesn't necessarily have to be a way to completely redeem Salazar Slytherin. So maybe it's not Salazar Slytherin did nothing wrong, but maybe it's Salazar Slytherin had his head somewhat in the right place, but the way in which he went about it was prejudiced and bad and not an accepting way to do so. And maybe not a way that you set up a school, but he had some sort of good intentions, just not done very well and not completely holistic good intentions. I think I find, particularly with this fandom, and it's an incredible fandom because people are so passionate and they have so many strong feelings, but I do find that there's an awful lot of a character is either good or bad or they are redeemed and they are there. But I think, you know, it's so much more fun to have everyone just be great. Nobody is 100% good. No one's 100% bad. It's depth. And I think that this theory definitely adds depth. I I like it. Yeah, it's funny because on this podcast, I can be a bit hyperbolic by saying that things are either so good or the worst. And I usually take a side. But yes, in truth, a lot of the characters are complex. I do think some characters aren't as complex as people like to think they are, like Snape. But I think that was something interesting about Dumbledore is for the whole book series, you think this dude is perfect. You think this guy's great. And then as it goes on, there's more and more eyebrow raising of, I don't know about this guy. And then eventually you learn he's not perfect and he has flaws. And I thought that was well done. I don't think the Snape one was done enough in the redeeming. I think it was a little bit too little too late kind of thing. But I agree. Having great characters is fun. They don't have to be one or the other. And as long as it's written well, it's a good time. It makes for a good story. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, Pass Mike, you know what else makes for a good time? Hey, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going, everybody? Being able to continue to do this as your job. And the only way that we can continue to do this is if we take a little bit of a break for Wingardium Adriadosa. Today's episode is brought to you by another podcast that I've created, Modern Muckraker. If you enjoy podcasts that I make, but you want something a little bit different, you might enjoy Modern Muckraker. Modern Muckraker is a scripted show that I created with a wonderful team where I play the role of an investigative journalist who believes that he is completing the world's most important research, but in actuality, the questions that he is answering are things such as, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging? This will sound like you're listening to one of those profound podcasts from reputable news sources, but inherently the questions that we are answering are very silly, but the experts that we talk to in order to answer these questions are very real. It's a fun time. The sound design is fantastic. I am very biased, but I think it's a great podcast. I think you'll think so as well. If you want to listen to it, you can search for Modern Muckraker wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, modernmuck.com. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live in internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. 
This episode of Pottery List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the market marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So this next theory comes from Oli. Hi, Paterless. This is Oli from Finland calling. I have a fan theory that Lucius Malfoy knew about Voldemort being in the back of Quirrell's head in book one and was scheming in the background so that they wouldn't be caught. I also believe that as the plan failed, he then gave the diary to Ginny in book two as a second attempt to resurrect the Dark Lord. It's either this or Dumbledore knew about it all along and just let it play out to test Harry. Otherwise, book one just doesn't make any sense to me. How did Dumbledore not notice? Would like to know your thoughts about this. Thanks, bye. Basically, what Oli's trying to get at is it doesn't make any sense that Dumbledore couldn't find out that the back of Quirrell's head was Voldemort. And I think from that perspective, it makes sense. Because how would he have not known? He's Dumbledore. <laughs> Anyone who's listening who doesn't watch my, I do a series called Potter Parodies where I just, I'm remaking the films essentially, but with like a comedy beat, I'm kind of shrekking it up and putting pop culture references in. And my line is from the meeting where they're discussing hiding the Philosopher's Stone. And the first line of this meeting is, and my trusted friends and Professor Quirrell. <laughs> and it's just like, why? <laughs> Dumbledore does this every year. But I think one of the things about the first one is if Harry had just stayed in bed, nothing would have happened because he wouldn't have been able to get the stone. And I've got this whole backstory where, like, Professor Dumbledore was just doing all of this stuff and he had his own plan. And really, Harry was just messing it up for him. Like, he was going to... 
he was going to get Voldemort and take all the glory and all of this stuff. But yeah, Harry just couldn't have stayed in bed. And yeah, it makes me laugh. Like, why? Why is Dumbledore so bad at picking stuff? What's interesting is that for some of the other selections, we know that Dumbledore knew they weren't the perfect choice, at least. For Gilderoy, that's the case. He knows that Gilderoy was a bit of a fraud, and no matter what his intentions were, if it was specifically to expose him or whatever it was, Dumbledore went into that knowing that Gilderoy wasn't a good person for the job. Why would you intentionally make your school worse? I don't understand. That's a conversation for another time, but like, I don't know what you're doing. But for the first one, I don't get how you can't figure that one out unless it is supremely intentional where you're just really confident that 11-year-old Harry's going to knock this one out of the park. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. But as for the theory, were there any clues in the... I can't remember. I don't think we meet Lucius in the first book. I re-listened to the audiobook recently and I don't remember us meeting him. I feel like we didn't meet him until the second. So I don't know as for him helping him because I feel like when Voldemort gets his body back in the fourth one and he's like, where were you, Lucius? Where were you? And uh, <laughs> I feel like if he was helping, then I, well, he helps in the second one. I don't know. I'm so confused by this theory, actually, now that I think about it. I'm trying to see. I think I have the books on PDF. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to open my very legal copy of Harry Potter book one dot PDF. And I'm going to search for Lucius and see what shows up. No results found. He's not in the first book at all. Yeah, he's not in the first one. So that's why I was like, am I missing a part? Was there Ah. a clue? Yeah. Maybe he was working behind the scenes with the governors and stuff. I guess he wasn't even mentioned. But wow. Hmm. I guess we've cracked the case in this fan theory. Sorry, Oli. Oh, no. So yeah, maybe this theory doesn't work for the perspective of Lucius being in the first book, since apparently he wasn't, at least according to Control-F and your memory. But the second part of what Oli said I do think is legit because Dumbledore is a good wizard. He's supposed to be the strongest, most powerful wizard, aside from Voldemort, potentially stronger than Voldemort. How do you not know? Especially when you know that Horcruxes are a thing, and you also have a teacher that is just conspicuously wearing a turban all of the time. Like, would it not at least come up in conversation? I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I try to defend myself so much, because I get called out for my law all the time because it's been a long time since I've read the books. I've read the books so many times, but that was when I was a kid. And then I had 10 or more years where I didn't read them. And I'm going through the audiobooks again so that my posse parodies can have things from the books that weren't in the films. But sometimes it's a little shaky. But isn't the point that Quirrell, he becomes this poor stuttering Professor Quirrell as a point like so that no one would suspect him? I didn't know that it was an intentional choice. I thought it was he was just super nervous because he had Voldemort in the back of his head. Yeah. I don't know if it's him trying to be like, oh, if I act all nervous, people won't suspect that I'm actually evil. I think it was more of just dude was freaked out that he had death in the back of his head. (laughs) Because I was thinking about it and I was like, surely this guy, he's not that old. Surely they'd remember that he didn't have a start. I don't know. Well, no, because people do just get starters. Okay. I think they've mentioned something about him acting differently before and after his trip where he gets possessed by Voldemort. So you would think that And I don't know if he wore a turban before, but like at least personality wise, he comes back and starts acting suspicious. Maybe Dumbledore does some sort of spell to just check. Let's see whether or not the Dark Lord incarnate is 
taking refuge in the back of your head. Feels like a good security measure for professors at your school. Just check everyone. And book four too, like, how do you not find out that, how do you not find out that Barty Crouch Jr. is disguised as Mad-Eye Moody? Like, you gotta have some sort of security measures in the school. This is a school where children learn to do magic. You don't have any sort of stuff like they've got at Gringotts where you can figure out if someone's using some sort of charm or spell or potion. Like, do they not drug test at these schools? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> I have so much problem with the Moody thing, especially because he was in the Order of the Phoenix. It's not like they don't know each other. They're bros. Like, they, I know they haven't spoken in a long time, but they're all friends and they've all worked together, not just Dumbledore as well, but like McGonagall. They know him. He's friends with them. And how do they just not know? And also, I don't know if I should take it to a weird place. Let's get weird. I talked about this on my TikTok as well. The fact that he has a magical eye that can see through clothes, I feel like you can definitely do like more check-in than normal. You should like make sure. Yeah. Because he looks through Harry's clothes and we know that he does that from the fourth book. <sighs> not good, not good. Going to your previous point though, so that I have a segue out of this yikes moment, <laughs> is I think what the fourth book really is is a testament to the acting prowess of Barty Crouch Jr. Because yeah. Russell Crowe, move over. Daniel Day-Lewis, move over. The new best method actor of all time is Barty Crouch Jr. Because he was dedicated to that role. He fooled the people closest to Mad-Eye Moody. And I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he found his diary. I don't know how you study the craft of Mad-Eye Moody. But this dude put in the work put in the hours, perfected everything. I feel like I really want to read Mad Eye's diary because he's so paranoid and everything. I feel like it would be a riot reading that diary, especially mm -hmm. because in the first, no, the second, sorry, the second film where they use Polyjuice Potion, their voices stay the same. The movie messes it up. Yeah. <laughs> in the books, your voice does change, yeah. Okay, that's fine then. Yeah, if you had to do an accent on top of all of it, my goodness. It makes me laugh though, because I'd be able to take McGonagall Polyjuice Potion from the film and nobody would no, they would not know. <laughs> get away with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you could definitely get away with it for sure. You have the skills. Okay, so the next fan theory that we have comes from Maya and David. Hi, Mike. This is Maya and David. We had a fan theory we wanted to share about Harry and the Dementors. We were wondering if when the Dementors get near Harry, is he having the memory of Voldemort killing his parents? It's not actually his memory of him seeing his parents die. It's the horcrux inside Harry's soul triggering the memory of Voldemort's soul being ripped apart because that's his worst memory. And when you see a Dementor, you remember your worst memories. They think that when the Dementors get near Harry, he has the memories of Voldemort killing his parents. But it's not actually the memory of him seeing his parents die. It's the horcrux inside Harry's soul triggering the memory of being ripped apart because that's his other soul's worst memory because it's getting taken out of Voldemort and put into Harry. So I think this theory could make a little sense just because one thing that always was strange to me about Harry seeing this vision is that I can't remember any memories before I was three years old. Like the oldest thing that I can remember I think it was on my fourth birthday mm -hmm. and my mom informed me, hey, it's your birthday. How do you feel? Do you feel any different being four? And I'm pretty sure I said, no, I think I'm fine being three. And I just wanted to stay three because I was 
content at age three. <laughs> I didn't need to go up a year. I felt okay. I can't remember anything as an infant, so for Harry to remember it feels a bit extreme. For the Voldemort soul thing, it could make more sense because Voldemort would have lived a life by then, so he's old enough to retain memories. So for the memory actually to be the other part of his soul, I think it could work. I was with it until it went into like it being the Horcrux's worst memory, because I've always thought that he remembers that because Voldemort remembers that and he's got that piece of Voldemort within him. And so that's why he had recollections of that. Because same, I can't remember anything from before. I think my earliest memory is three and a half. Yeah, so I always thought that the memory did belong to the Horcrux, but it was the Horcruxes. It's just because it was Voldemort's memory and it's like a bit of Voldemort but it would be like oh that poor ugly I think in Potter parodies I call it a grossy baby or something like a right monster of a baby that little Voldemort <laughs> horcrux thing but yeah oh that makes me kind of sad for it that it was like oh I'm all alone <laughs> I've been ripped away because <laughs> <I'm> I, <shared. laughs> I don't know the logistics of the soul breaking apart in a horcrux but it would kind of stink if you imagine all of the souls kind of being sentient. Maybe it's like the sunken place in Get Out where you can see stuff, but you can't control it. Ooh. It would suck to be a part of the most powerful evil wizard. You're doing cool stuff. You're flying. You're shooting curses all over the place. And then you try to kill a baby and it doesn't work. And then now what? Oh, now you're just stuck in a kid and then you've lived a life. And now you're just watching a kid learn how to walk and learn how to eat and live under some stairs. <laughs> and that's probably like why the real reason it all kicks off in book four five because harry was so whiny and annoying <laughs> in book five like if you were a bit of Voldemort in hit like stuck in harry you're just like this kids this angsty kids i'm done <laughs> this makes a very fun fan theory where actually the soul inside of harry turned on voldemort because just couldn't deal with Harry, wanted to be put out of its misery, and that soul inside Harry started kicking everything into gear. That's how Harry kept seeing Voldemort's visions. It was all actually the soul inside Harry that was like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was revolting. It was like, no, okay, uh, no, nah, I'm done. We need to not live forever because I can't handle that. Yeah, no, nah, I like that. Uh huh. I think we've stumbled <laughs> upon something incredible here. Yeah, the soul was just channeling all its power so that Harry could see into Voldemort's Eyes, really getting the plot going along, possessing, you know, snake vision, Harry Arthur stuff. We've developed a new theory, and I think we've solved the riddle of how everything came to be. Yeah. So this one isn't necessarily a fan theory, but I still do appreciate it. And it was sent over by the folks at PuffCast. Oh, hello, Mike. Your girl, Juliana here. I just wanted to call in with a fan theory for you. And that is that my girl, Madame Hooch, and my main lady, Professor Sprout, are the ultimate power couple. That's it. That's all I'm going to leave you with. And I'd love to hear your discussion. Thanks for the fabulous show and wizard on. I have agreed with this from the jump. I've got the receipts that very early on, I was like, Hooch, Sprout, they're together. They're perfect. Do you agree with them as the power couple? Do you think that they are with other people? Because in my brain, they're happily married and they love each other very much. I've got to admit something now that I'm very embarrassed about. I've told people, so it's not an exclusive, but... When I was 10, my one true ship was McGonagall and Dumbledore. They were like my magical grandparents. Okay, and okay. And I loved it. I was all about it. And then 
I actually, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I cried when JK said that Dumbledore was gay because at that time we still cared about what she thought. So when she said he was gay, I was like, oh, well, that locks off my one true ship. I was crying. I was like, does Minerva know she's going to be heartbroken? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what are we going to do? But as I have grown up, and uh, I think just my understanding of sexuality and understanding of the lack of representation that we had in the books, I'm so supportive of couples like this. And I know that it's very popular. Poppy and McGonagall are a very... With the the ship named Popscotch, which oh, I think... I haven't heard um, that. Alison Nepensiev came up with that one. And I was like, that is perfect. I love it. That would be Madame Pomfrey and Professor McGonagall? Yeah. Yeah. Popscotch. That's good. <laughs> That's a really good one. I really do think that Madame Pomfrey is one of the most underrated characters in the entire story. I've said it many times on the podcast that that's got to be the most challenging medical-related job because you got a bunch of wizard kids not knowing what the hell they're doing and shooting spells all over the place. And I do think it's a shame that we don't get enough of her backstory. And weirdly, it is why I enjoyed, when I was playing it more frequently, the Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery iPhone game because Madame Pomfrey actually like has a semi-big role in it. You do a lot of different things where you get to meet her and talk more with her. Oh, nice. I think she's incredibly fascinating and I think she's really obviously very powerful Mm. and she much like McGonagall I think Pumphrey really doesn't put up with people's crap like she really has no patience for people that are messing up her hospital wing or not listening to her or people trying to get in the way like Lockhart and I feel like that energy really vibes with McGonagall a whole heck of a lot I think they're a really good pairing yeah well I think Poppy throws the minister of magic out of the hospital wing at one point in one of the books incredible she's literally like get out (laughs) I know so I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I mean, I didn't even realise, and I definitely don't ship McGonagall and Dumbledore anymore. Like, I'm like, no, my girl deserves better than Dumbledore. But Pomona and Hooch, which is who we were talking about at first, I used to read a lot of fan fictions when I was younger, and they were all like Harry being raised by his Hogwarts family. So like he was there with Aunt Pomona and Uncle Phileas and all of this stuff. And Pomona was always with Phileas in those. So it was default to me, but they're a dreadful couple. So I'm glad that that is undefaulted. I think that Hooch and Pomona are a much better couple. Yeah, because it seems like Hooch is... I mean, the hair alone makes it feel like she's more high energy. She, It's like a little opposites attract thing where Sprout feels very homey. She likes the plants. She is nice and chill. I know the actress who plays her is incredible. She seems like a wonderful woman. I'm sure she's like accomplished British stage actor that I am not familiar with. Uh, but Miriam. everyone is probably screaming in their cars that she's like a the most well-decorated in terms of BAFTAs all over the place actress in the world. But she's great. Miriam Margulies is incredible. And I don't know if you know this, but they actually had to keep her separate from the kids because she tells the most inappropriate stories. (laughs) And she's so funny. If you've got spare time, look up Miriam Margulies' in in any interview. Miriam Margulies' interviews with Graham Norton. She tells the (laughs) most graphic stories. And you're just like, wow. <laughs> My childhood is ruined, but great. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. But yeah, even going beyond the actress, the character of Sprout just seems very chill and homey, maybe the type that likes to cook. 
going to have some tea, read a book. Hooch seems a bit more energetic, outgoing, a little more out there and a more of a social butterfly. But I feel like they could kind of bring the best out in each other. Yeah. And it's like Ron and Hermione, little opposites attract. I think it's that kind of thing, too, where they're different, but it feels like they work together. And I just imagine them having a great time with Sprout having chamomile tea or Earl Grey or whatever in the teacher's lounge. And then Hooch is drinking a triple shot of espresso because yeah, <laughs> like, she has to teach 11-year-olds how to fly. <laughs> in my head, just because Hooch is a bad teacher, like, I love her so much, but she is... Like, she's happy to let kids get hurt. Like, why didn't she arrest Neville's momentum? Why was she just letting kids get smashed up? Like, she just doesn't care. She just trusts Pomfrey. She has <laughs> supreme ultimate trust in Pomfrey's ability to fix everybody. She's like, I don't have to do anything. But in my mind, she's just part-time. She rocks up. She's that fun PE teacher. Like, we love Hooch. And I think that that's a big part. It's hard to work with your spouse. And I think there's a lot of reasons why I personally think that Hooch and Sprout go together better than Poppy and McGonagall, because I think those are very similar characters, and I do think they would clash a bit. Mm -hmm. So in terms of teacher couples, I think that Pomona and uh, Hooch are better suited. I think it works. It also, I feel like being the flying instructor is kind of like being the PE coach. And I feel like you work at the same place, but you don't cross over a lot. You're outside for your classes. You're not in the hallways. It seems like the type of relationship where you have people who work at the same company, but in different departments. So yeah, you carpool in together, but then you go to office floor A and they go to subsection office B. And then at the you have your meals together and then you leave together. But as far as interacting within, you don't have the same boss. You're not in the same meetings, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I feel like their roles are different enough. And maybe that could work to the advantage of Pomfrey and McGonagall. But I do feel like McGonagall has to send a lot of kids to Madame Pomfrey. <laughs> so I feel like there'd be more interaction there as opposed to Hooch and Sprout doing their separate things. Yeah. No, I like it. I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end this episode on the happy note of love between potential ships, but regardless, wonderful women of Hogwarts doing great things. So this was great. I thank you to all the listeners who called in. There were a bunch of great fan theories, but we've simply run out of time. We can't cover all of them. But thanks to everybody who called in. And Chanel, thank you for joining on and chatting with me about Harry Potter and your history and also teaching me fun facts about horses. So great. <laughs> always. I'm always down. <laughs> I've had so much fun. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Before I go, though, I wanted to add my own. We don't have to discuss it, but I just wanted to tell you a fan theory that really grinds my gears <gasps> yeah. that people always bring up to me. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So this is a McGonagall fan theory, okay? There are people, and there's an article, you can Google it, somebody wrote this down, that Filch is McGonagall's son, and he's got mummy issues, and that's why he's obsessed with cats. <laughs> so, I don't... What, <laughs> what is the justification for this? I don't see anything. <laughs> there's a whole article, you can read it, all right? <laughs> and it hurts my heart, because people bring it up to me all the time. I'm like, firstly... Why are you doing my, like, McGonagall's like 70. We don't know how old Filch is in the books, but he's definitely too old to be her son. And secondly, like, no, don't do my girl like that. Please. Not even just because Filch is a grump that we don't like, but more so 
if Filch was actually the son of McGonagall and McGonagall had a squib son who was struggling, we see Filch trying to learn to do magic. I trust McGonagall since she is so motherly towards Harry. If she had an actual son at the school, she would be with him day in, day out, trying to help him out, trying to help him work through his stuff, turning him into a better person. And that is not the relationship that I've seen in the books at all. So I think this fan theory is just a disservice to McGonagall. She wouldn't leave him out to dry like that. Exactly. She wouldn't be turning around calling him a, a blithering idiot. No, uh, no way. No way at all. And also, it's like people have added onto it and it's like, <laughs> we heard this theory. And so we went down this rabbit hole on Reddit and people talking about it and stuff. And there's this whole story where Filch is actually the squib son of Dumbledore and McGonagall and they're so disappointed that he's so useless that they just make him clean Hogwarts. No. No way. (laughs) People really take these seriously though. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you before we left. We had some really good theories today and it's just the worst. (laughs) I will look back fondly on the ones that people sent in. It makes me think even more highly of the Potterless listeners that no one sent this in because that is arguably one of the worst things I've ever heard where it just decides McGonagall is a bad parent. No way. McGonagall is not an absentee mother. She would not do that at all. I do think it is very confusing as to why Filch is the janitor. He does not need to be there. I feel like there's some sort of story, but I do not think it involves either McGonagall and slash or Dumbledore being a <laughs> neglecting parent. I don't think that's the explanation. Yeah, no, nah, I don't think so. I think it's a shame that we missed out on McGonagall really fighting to keep Harry and then she raises Harry and then we have a Scottish Harry who's really sick at Quidditch because she would have been the best Quidditch grandma. I just feel like we missed out there. Dumbledore really did us dirty with his whole, no, he's got to stay here. I think that'd be fantastic because I do think the entire story of Harry Potter does get better if Harry has a Scottish accent. And especially if he gets some of that anger temperament. Like, angsty Harry, not great. Yelling at everyone in a Scottish accent, Harry, in book five? I think I'm more on board. I think I'm more okay with it. (laughs) Oh, 100%. We love it. It'd be great. I also really do like the thought of McGonagall being one of those really intense coaches, especially after watching the Olympics a lot recently, where so many of the coaches are the parents of the athletes. Yeah. I can just imagine McGonagall. Harry's four years old. He can finally fly on a broom, and she's having him do the equivalent of wind sprints, but on a broom. Yes. Yeah, because we've already seen it from when in book five, when he says that he wants to be an aura and she is like, I will train you myself. Like, you're going to be an aura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proper. Like in one of my parodies, I reference Mean Girls, but it's like McGonagall. Like, I'm a pusher, Harry. I'm a pusher. Yes. yes. <laughs> she would be the ultimate Quidditch granny making sure that he's ready to go so that she can win those medallions. Yes, we need it. Oh, man. Okay, good. Now we've ended on a good note. We had the anti-palette cleanser. We had the palette destroyer (laughs) of the Filch theory. But now it has been brought back our sweet dessert of Quidditch Grandma McGonagall. Super down. Love that a whole heck of a lot. And little Scottish Harry. (laughs) Oh, I love this. So, Chanel, thank you so much for listening. If people want to find your TikTok or anything else that you're doing, where can they find it? Okay, so on TikTok, my name is Shanwell Zero. That is C-H-A-N-W-I-L-L-S Zero. And uh, I'm just Shanwells on Instagram. Yeah. Great. 
So Chanel, thank you again so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And normally I do a little bit of a preamble where I say what the kids say before they say wizard on, which is the catchphrase we all know. But I think with you here, I would love nothing more than if you could just, as Maggie Smith's McGonagall, say wizard on or some sort of sentence ending in wizard on because that... I think is the gift we can all appreciate here at the end of this episode. Right, well, thank you all for listening, and as always, Wizard on. <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, thank you for that assessment, Mr. Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> If you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, you should check out all of the other shows from Multitude. And if you're looking for something different, you should check out Next Stop. Next Stop is an audio sitcom. It's a show that explores the turbulent time of your mid to late 20s. I'm currently in those. They are turbulent. When everyone is changing around you and you worry that you might not catch up. Across the 10 episode first season, Next Stop follows three roommates trials through work, relationships, friendships, and more. You can watch them grow together as a unit, no matter what life throws at them. A bunch of Multitude folks are involved. It was written and created by Eric Silver. It was directed and edited by Brandon Grugel. It was executive produced by Amanda McLaughlin and was casted and assistant directed by Julia Shafini. And I made a cameo. Woo! So if you want to listen to it, you can listen wherever you get your podcasts or you can go to nextstopshow.com. And if you want to check out other Multitude shows, go to multitude.productions. Pottery List was created by McShubert. It is hosted by McShubert. It is normally edited by McShubert, but this episode was edited by Sherry Guo. It is produced by McShubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary, Dajmarie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flora Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marie Kuriga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarl Sviven, Peter McGrath, Callahan and Darius, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie De Reif, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiedas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody Dunamorphy, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinachek, Nani, Emma Kui, Tough Bayfong, Micah Alma Cloward, Michaela Veneer, Jasmine Laurie May, Carly Beck, Carolyn Hillebrand, Matthew Morrison, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Got It? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campomanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterylist, twitter.com slash potterylistpod, instagram.com slash potterylistpodcast, or reddit.com slash r slash potterylist. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterylistpodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterylist. Merch lives at potterylistpodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our live shows live at potterylistpodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might like the show, why don't you reach out and tell them about about it. Say, hey, there's a show Potterless. I think you'd like it. It's free to listen to. Check it out. Or you could leave us a rating and review online or talk about us on social media. Anything helps. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on.